Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Earlier this week, a local brewery revealed their support for a new name for the Cleveland Indians by announcing they've created a new beer called Municipals. The launch was created in many ways, mostly due to the desire to name a beverage that is simultaneously something to drink and the reason to drink. This is the Selby's Godcast. <laughs> I'm TJ Zuppi. He's Zach Meisel. Thanks for finding us and clicking play. We're here every single week. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and on Spotify. What is up, Zachary? You know, you keep this up, and after about 100 episodes or so, you'll have a full stand-up routine. (laughs) Just one-liners that are all dated because I'm trying to keep it somewhat recent. (laughs) Not quite Mitch Hedberg, but I'm on my way, man. I'm on my way. No, I saw that about the municipals, and it made me think, what can I do to get hazards more popularity <laughs> i'll can tell I you create what you can like do. a a food i'll tell you what you could do because this is now my new dan gilbert's plane it's checking <laughs> the trademarks around cleveland baseball teams to see if any new ones have been registered the other day i sent you municipals got registered it got registered dude well it's by the people that have been trying to get municipals as the new team name for the cleveland indians there's an llc and everything and i'm thinking whoa what, am I am I onto something? Not not really. No, but I did visit I, I did visit their web page and they put a lot of thought into that. I'll give them credit for that. I don't really like the name Municipals, but I think it looks you know, nice on the website. I'll give them credit for the, all the thought and effort they've put into it. Can I create a branding campaign based around like traffic cones in downtown Cleveland? <laughs> well, that would be similar to the Guardians of Traffic, wouldn't it? No, which by the way. Was, is trademarked? Well, it, it, it won is. the athletics uh, name change bracket contest. That's true. Um, what, what can we read into that? I don't know. There was some fluky voting in one of the rounds where, like, it was Guardians and Spiders, and I think there was some ballot box stuffing, or some bots got involved. I don't know. But Bots? I don't know. How, it needs to be hazards. It makes too much sense. It's unique. I, we don't need to go down this rabbit hole again. <laughs> Do we need to get... I mean, we're always concerned about elections and what other countries might be doing. Do we need to look into this a little bit more to see if perhaps Guardians won because of some other foreign interference? Is this possibly a conspiracy theory I need to look into? Well, shout out to our buddy who likes when we talk conspiracy theories, but it's it's... There were like two sections of the voting. I think maybe it was down to the final four, the elite eight or something. And the just the one part of the bracket that had guardians against spiders had like thousands and thousands of more votes than the bottom half of the bracket. And it's like, well, why? Who would fill this out and only do part of it? You know, when you're filling out your bracket this week, mm. you're not just putting Gonzaga to the championship game. You need someone on the other side too, right? So it was a little suspicious. Mm, that's that's interesting. I think that's a thread we need to pull on a little bit more. 
just gotta look into it. If this is partially your guys' fault because you had Guardians ranked at a, what eleventh or eleventh. That wasn't. We didn't rank them though. It, 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 they were ranked based on the preliminary round of voting. Um, how which ones received the highest percentage of votes. So Spiders won its category with like, I don't know, 60% of the vote or something. And each was like a, a group of 16, I think. So like Spiders against 15 other crappy names and Spiders had the largest percentage. So Spiders was the one seed and, and so on and so forth. I think some of the seeding was bad, but that's just me. No one asked well, my opinion. talk to Clevelanders. <laughs> well, for... We still have uh, not reached the point where we're seeing the white smoke out the chimney. There's no new team name. We don't have that. We do potentially have new conspiracy theories to watch, though, as you're sharing them with me, about LeBron James and what team he'll soon own. So why don't you just get that out there so your receipt's clearly on the table. (laughs) So I was thinking about, you know, John Sherman got in as a minority owner of the Indians, and a couple years later he goes in and buys his hometown Royals. And it's the same sort of path that Jimmy Haslam carved for himself, where he was a minority owner of the Steelers, an opportunity opens with the Browns, and you jump at that. You know, people have always said it's so much easier to become a new owner when you're a minority owner elsewhere because you've gone through that vetting process. They know what you're about, who you are, what your financial status is. So LeBron James becoming a part owner of the Red Sox just tells me that, hey, when Paul Dolan says the word, LeBron James and Maverick Carter and the boys will be ready to uh, fork over a $1.2 billion or whatever it'll cost, and, and they'll own the Indians. So now I'll, I will understand when the, the the new Cleveland logo is rolled out, and it's just the silhouette of Le, LeBron flexing up in the, the club seating. That's I'll understand why that has happened. Better flex, LeBron or Albert Bell? Ooh, that's a good, good more, question. Which one's more iconic? Uh, I think if you ask Clevelanders now, it's the LeBron one. But which wow. one was more menacing? Albert freaking Bell. Are you kidding me? He's staring over to the other dugout, saying this is where all the power comes from, gentlemen. I think Albert Bell's is more iconic because he was on the field. You know, it's, and it has its LeBron James head. is doing this while the Cavs are smashing beer cans in a suite. And, oh, by the way, the Indians ended up losing an hour later. Um, <laughs> you know, at least the Indians won that game uh, in 95. Still, I mean, people talk about the Rajay home run like it it might have won the game. I mean, it still holds that much, not just to Clevelanders. I hear people nationally still, like, interviews done with Rajay Davis, they still talk about that home run. Like it's like it went on to win the game. How many other home runs are like that in baseball history where it's that remembered and yet it didn't win the game? Well, and keep in mind, the thing people forget, and, and that's why when people want to downplay its significance, yes, I know Cleveland lost. But think of, think of it if you're a Cubs fan in that moment and you had this five-run lead, I think it was, and um, – you know, you watch that disappear, and you have Aroldis Chapman, your last line of defense, on the mound. And oh, by the way, you have a 108-year title drought, and you give that up to Rajay Davis of all people. So yeah, I mean, the, like the stakes couldn't have been higher. That's one of those that you script in some cheesy movie, or when you're in the backyard and you're just imagining like the ultimate moment. I mean, that that comes as close as any in history. So I. 
It's just I hate to just downplay it. it just... Yeah, so I hate to just downplay it as just another home run. They lost. Who cares? Get over it. But um, obviously, it, you know, if if the Indians win that game, Rajay Davis has a statue. He's got schools named after him. You've got a, an influx of children named Rajay with Cleveland roots. I mean, it would have been insane. <laughs> oh yeah, that that alternate reality would be a fun one to live in. Um, so we might be approaching an alternate reality that we didn't see taking place in regard to the starting rotation, but we got to talk about Logan Allen, who we have not spent a lot of time talking about this spring, but am I off base for thinking Logan Allen is really right there as far as winning a spot in the rotation and what that rotation looks like on opening day is probably not going to be anywhere close to what it looks like even a month into the season. Mm-hmm. But, Which is a key point. Exactly. But for for someone that I didn't really th- – it's not because I didn't think he was talented or or wasn't impressed by the, the work he put in in this offseason to kind of reshape his body. None of that. I mean, he's a, he's a top 100 prospect very recently. So it's not like this guy doesn't have talent. But I wasn't really thinking about Logan Allen being in the starting rotation to begin the year. And I really wasn't thinking about it if you'd have said – well, it could potentially be four guys in the first couple of weeks just because of the off days. Yet, coming off of a spring performance that I don't really know how much effort and analysis to take away from it, but another four scoreless innings for this dude who just keeps rolling. And this is also someone that Terry Francona talked up a lot in the early days of camp. So how much are you reading into that? Yeah, I think you always have to be careful. Um, you know, sometimes I think fans think that players are being discussed a lot, talked up a lot. And it's just a matter of reporters asking about the same people. Like, like Bobby Bradley has been asked about like four consecutive days. And it's just because certain people aren't on the zooms every day. And so they're asking about the same questions that were asked the day earlier. Um, But it is significant in that it's not just the fact that he stopped eating so many donuts and lost 35 pounds in eight months. It's the fact that he spent the winter in Arizona working with that Dunkin Donuts would send a (laughs) all points bulletin down. Just (laughs) to make sure I was okay. Is this guy still alive? Is he still with us? I'm still here, Duncan. Do you ever get the the munchkins? Bucket of munchkins? Yeah, those that's really uh helpful when you're going through with in the drive thru with your two kids in the back seat. You need some some distraction. So just, Do you get, does it come good. with like 25 or 50? You can get like 5, 10. You can get them in, I think, you, whatever fraction of five you ever wanted. So, yeah, I don't know. So the Red Sox have a partnership with Dunkin' Donuts. So they would always have, sometimes it would be just boxes and boxes of the full-sized ones at the back of the press box. And sometimes it would be the little, I keep calling them buckets, but the the almost like briefcases of the munchkins. And I mean, it's like any time you walked in and out of the press box, you might as well go grab three or four of those, wow. right? Like it's those things are so good. I love the synchronicity here from Donuts to Logan Allen to LeBron buying into the Red Sox who have this partnership <laughs> with Dunkin' Donuts. It all comes together, man. I'm getting out that X Files theme. It just fits. Hey, and guess do you know who drafted Logan Allen? Yes, I do, because I just looked it up. But I'm just taking away from Sealing Your Thunder. I don't know who who did it, Zach. Who, in the eighth round it? in 2015, the Boston Red Sox. Mm, See, there's some there are some connections here. 
Anyway, so he loses this weight. He spends the winter working with Cleveland's pitching wizards. They sprinkle their fairy dust, and, and Logan Allen becomes a better pitcher. That's basically it here. Um, but it's it's also it's interesting. You've got you know you know you're going to start with Bieber, Plesac, Savali, and then you've basically got three guys who I think they're just counting on to just cover the rest of the starts. So it's Logan Allen, Cal Quantrill, and Tristan McKenzie in some order. And that order is not even dependent on like who's going to be the best, who's going to have the best career. It's it's dependent on okay, you know McKenzie is not going to throw 180 innings. You know that uh, Quantrill is is he made a lot of changes over the offseason. He's was a reliever last year, so it's a different role for him. You know Logan Allen is a completely different guy, but also someone who has very limited major league experience. All three were top 100 prospects at one time or another. Uh, so it's it's interesting, and I think they're not too concerned about who number four and number five are in April because it'll be different from September. And so it'll be interesting to see just how they sort sort through those three and and how heavily they rely on them. Well, you know, you know how much I've talked to Cal Quantrill and my excitement level for what he could become. But there, I mean, there is some sense here of Logan Allen being further along in his development within the Indian system than, than Quantrill is. And if Quantrill's still working through things in his delivery that Logan Allen has long pushed past, then maybe it makes some sense for Quantrill to start at the alternate site. Wait, what am I saying? Could I actually be saying that? But if you think about it, this is someone that you want to continue to get reps. So is he going to get them by throwing him out in the bullpen, which the bullpen might also have a guy named Adam Plutko out there who is filling a similar longish role, multiple innings. How are you going to keep Quantrill built up and give him the reps that he needs if, and we're still a couple of weeks to go here, so things could change, but if we're still in this process where Quantrill needs those repetitions to continue building into the starter that they think he can be. And if Logan Allen is already further along and is pitching extremely well, why do I want to halt that whatever momentum is worth in spring training? It's, it's crazy for yep. me to say this. I know it's insane, but I got to give Logan Allen his due. This dude is, is, is pitching his mind just out of his mind right now. So I, I think the way they'll end up approaching this, and I, I wrote this, which I think, I don't know when it's going to be published. It might be published by the time this podcast is finished, um, but you can check it out at some point. Um, that, I, like, I think 120 innings is probably about what you can expect for these each of these three. I mean, sure, does Logan Allen have the durability and stamina to throw 150, 160? Yes. Does Cal Quantrill? Yeah, probably. Um, but just from a realistic standpoint with these guys are going to have some inconsistencies, some growing pains. It's possible someone gets injured. It's possible someone struggles for a stretch. So you're, you're trying to map out, you know, what if Tristan McKenzie can top out at like 110, 120 innings, what makes sense for him? You know, you're not going to make 30 starts unless you're piggybacking all the time. Um, so maybe it makes sense at the beginning of the year when you have, a shit ton of off days early on and you're probably going to go with a four-man rotation and stick a fifth starter in the bullpen for the first two weeks, um, then maybe maybe it makes sense to make Logan Allen the number four and to send Tristan McKenzie to the bullpen and Quantrill to the alternate site. 
or Quantrill to the bullpen and McKenzie to the alternate site, or Quantrill to the rotation and McKenzie to the bullpen. Like you can arrange it however you want. Yeah. I think you just know going in that. Like, this is going to be a constant shuffle, I think, between those three. And you may need Plucko to make a few starts. You may need to dip in and get Scott Moss or Eli Morgan up for a, a spot start or two. So there's a lot of different ways to arrange it. And it's just, you know, I, I honestly don't – I know there's been a lot of talk about is anybody going to be able to throw 200 innings? You know, are, are starters going to be, you know, struggling to, to have these huge workloads after a year where you only threw 60, 70 innings? I, they think Bieber, Plesak, and Savali will be just fine. And like you can, if they stay healthy, you can pencil them for 30 starts and 180 innings. Um, but it's the other two spots that it's going to be just be a, a cycle, a rotation. And I think those are your three primary contenders. And what's interesting is just that they're all really young. And yeah. so we, we don't know just how much potential they can tap into. Well... I think it's worth noting that we're going to make a lot of about this right now and ultimately it just doesn't matter because of some of the things you're talking about. And just in a normal setting, you see a lot of turnover. You see opening day rotations look nothing like what they eventually become. I made the joke to you too, as you were saying, you know, the, the depth here beyond the first six guys might be questionable. It's like, well, weren't we saying that a few years ago before some guy named Plesak and another guy mm-hmm. named Savali showed up? So, you know, what ends up happening between the first game of the season and even July, I think is, is going to be a lot of, of, of things that we can't exactly forecast right now. And that's just what you typically expect. You add to that that guys are building up and they don't have the workload that they have last year and, and teams are probably going to be mindful of that. I, I think it, it also adds some degree of just none of this matters at the, at the outset. But having said that, the few things that you can take away in spring training, at, at least maybe something you want to watch as far as pitchers go, are you striking guys out and are you limiting walks? Can you do those two things? Because if you're doing those two things, I think you're accomplishing from a performance standpoint anything that might alarm me or get me excited. And for Logan Allen, if you sort number one in strikeouts right now, I know some of it is due to innings, but number one in strikeouts, Logan Allen with 11, tied with with Karen Check, who's also got 11. But also, one walk. This is someone that people have talked about in the past. Maybe there's some concern about his command. Well, he's walked one guy and struck out 11. (laughs) That's it. That's what you want to see in spring training. And on Is the, flip, that good? the flip side of that, Quantrill struck out six, walked seven. Looks like a guy that is still feeling out where he needs to be, maybe in his delivery and through any of the changes that they've made. So again, this, this comes back to the truth being it's not going to matter once you get a couple of months into the season. But for right now, I think we're getting uh, some some view into how they, they, they see these guys. And... I would not be surprised at all if four guys open the year in the rotation. Logan Allen is part of that four. And now how they how they map out what the rest of the year looks like is going to be absolutely fascinating. But you're right. Beyond those top three, and, and I don't have any doubt about Shane Bieber being a guy that can reach 200. I think he's going to do that. And Plesak, to me, seems like with his athleticism, and mm-hmm. I, I really think he can approach, be one of the few that approaches 200 innings too. Um, Savali, we'll see. He's made some changes too. But those three guys you feel really good about. The rest of it is going to be pieced together. And I, I don't know if it's going to look like a traditional year as far as, as starters go. They are not going to use the six-man rotation. They're going to go with 
probably the four because of, of the off days. But you also need to be mindful of keeping guys stretched out. You can't just throw everybody, well, you don't make the team, you go into the bullpen because at some point this year, you're going to need those extra innings. Yeah, and it's just a reminder of how this team is loaded with players who are 24, 25, who it's that pivotal time. You got to take that leap forward in your career um, or go through some growing pains. And so it's, yeah, this is not going to be a team that relies on, you know, I was doing research. The 2003 Mariners had, they used five starting pitchers the whole season. They didn't need any reinforcements, which is just incredible to think about. Um, And those five, which by the way, anchored by Jamie Moyer, who was 40 years old. So his career was just getting started. Um, (laughs) But those five pitchers each made 32 or 33 starts Four of the five logged more than 200 innings. Um, And then two years later, I think we all remember the 05 tribe rotation with, can you name the five? In 05? Yeah. uh, CC Millwood, uh, was that? It would have been Westbrook, right? Mm-hmm. 05. Uh, Ellerton? Yeah, one more. And I, I'm missing somebody big, aren't I? Yes. 05. Future Cy Young winner. Oh, Cliff Lee. Yeah, so those five made all but four starts. And if you can name who made the other four, I will <laughs> um, give you... No. No, the answer is no. Okay, <laughs> Jason Davis. Jason Davis is the answer. So they only needed six starters that year. Um, and the weird thing is that both the 03 Mariners and the 05 Tribe went 93 and 69 and missed the playoffs. Um, and then in 2012, the Reds, five starters, made all but one start. On August 18th, some dude named Todd Redmond started a game, went three innings in his Major League debut. That was it. So five guys, 161 of the 162 starts. Like this stuff, this never happens. I mean, you're talking once a, once or twice a decade where teams only need like a spot start here and there. But think about even the Dodgers. They there have probably been times where it's it's almost strategic on their part mm-hmm. that they're starting the number of guys that they have because they're they 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 love the depth that they have. I mean, it helps when you can spend an extra eleven million dollars on a on someone that you don't, if they're an injury risk, who cares? It's eleven million dollars to me, but. I, I, the Indians, if if they wanted to to be smart about this too, with with guys that that don't have this lengthy uh, track record of building up 200 innings beyond Bieber, you have all these guys use them. You should absolutely. So I I'm, I'm with you on finding ways to get the best 115 to 120 innings out of Tristan McKenzie. If he starts the year in the rotation, I don't care about that. And in fact, I think it would almost be foolish to do that because we can't anticipate he is going to wear down at some point. Even Shane Bieber, who came up in his rookie year, towards the end of the year, what happened in September? Started to have some issues. Even before that, I think even in, into August. And then maybe he finished better down the stretch, but he talked about it. You, you feel it. This is not something you're used to. So utilize the depth. Something we've talked about many times this offseason. Yeah, and it's so like McKenzie could start the year in the rotation, and then maybe he gets to ninety or hundred innings, and you say, okay, let's throw you in the bullpen for the last month or two, or you could start him at the alternate site or in the bullpen, and then backload his innings. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of ways to construct this, and I think Logan Allen, to to kind of circle back here, has at least forced their hand, and in a good way, 
into thinking maybe more creatively or differently than they originally were. Yeah. I, I don't like the idea of you want to backload because if, if Trist, let's say Tristan starts in the, the regular rotation and he's fantastic, are, are you still going to have the same ability to pull back on the reins? Or are you going to be like, eh, I don't like this. I, I mean, he's thrown like... 33 innings in the last 30 I months. I know, but I'm saying remove that from being a choice that you even have to worry about, you know, putting the note in your pocket so you pull it out later and remind yourself, no, no, bad front office, bad <laughs> coaching staff, sit this guy down. That doesn't make any sense if he's out there looking like a Cy Young. So, and I'm not saying that he would, but just take that off the table and backload it so that he's at his his strongest conceivably in July and August and hopefully holding that through into September. And if you truly consider yourself a playoff team, you're going to need him for an extra month beyond that too. So I don't think it makes sense for him to, I mean, unless you're starting the year with him only throwing four innings and then going to the piggyback guy or going to, you know, Plutko or somebody out of the bullpen, which is possible. And, and I think the thing that complicates this is that you, the triple A season's delayed. Yes. So it's not as simple as, oh, we'll send him to AAA and we'll have him pitch every seven days <laughs> and then we'll ease him into every six and then every five. No, it's you'll send him to Columbus and he'll throw more BP and do play in scrimmages and maybe an occasional like non-sanctioned game against <laughs> uh, another AAA team. I mean, it's not, it's not so simple. I so like, you need to like think it. about the individual too and think about – which environment fits for each pitcher. I love the non-sanctioned part. Like, psst, come here. Come on. Come on. Nobody's watching. Come on. Let's play this. Let's play this quick game real quick. That's basically what it's going to be. <laughs> you know, it's it's up to the teams to figure out what they want to do with the yeah. alternate site for that month. And I, I think there's been talk that, you know, maybe the Indians AAA team can play the Tigers AAA team, either in Toledo or in Columbus. But, like, it's not, you know, it's not a game in the standings or anything like that. It appears the Indians, although they haven't named a starter at shortstop, pretty much have through their actions Andres Jimenez. I, I at this point, I tell me Andres Jimenez is the starting shortstop without telling me Andres Jimenez is the starting shortstop. <laughs> well, the Did I do that, that meme right? <laughs> the fact that Ahmed Rosario is in center field today, and of course, uh, as I'm getting the notification now, resulted in E8. Oh, he's already made an error in center field, so that's going swimmingly. Um, but the fact that he's playing center field, uh, okay. I, I feel like they are telling us that Andre Semenez is the, the starting shortstop. And that that pushes pushes us to a place that we, we've talked about center field. But have we, have we really talked about center field? There's been so much focus on what's going on at shortstop. And, you know, Mercado. And first is, base. And, yes, and first base. And Mercado has just, you know, gone out there, got the at-bats. Zimmer's got some at-bats in center field now. Rosario is out in, in center field. Is this a more interesting place to focus our attention now over the past or over the, the future two weeks here? Do we are, are we to a place where we can say Mercado is the center fielder? Or do you feel like me that, I don't know, this position might be more up for grabs than maybe we initially thought? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if they had more capable competition for him, I, I think he's going to win by default. Um, I don't think Ahmed Rosario can just learn center field in a span of two weeks. And uh, I mean, Bradley Zimmer is always there, right? Like he's that meme of Dwight at the, where are they at the, the bar arcade and Angela just like sneaks up behind him and he just like 
shouts a curse word. Like, Bradley Zimmer's always there over your shoulder, but, like, I don't know, he's not very threatening. Angela's, like, five foot one. Um, so, yeah, I, like, I, I think they want, they wanted Oscar Mercado to, like, take this and run with it. And, like, like how he performed in spring training in 2019. And then he did. They, like, they had to call him up in May and probably could have earlier than that. And he took center field and ran with it. They wanted him to return to that. They wanted him to make it so that there were no questions about center field. Now, part of this is out of his control because Jimenez has just impressed the hell out of everybody in Arizona that he, like, they're not going to send him to manipulate his service time. He's the guy. Like, they really, really like him and, and what he can do all over the field. And so that make left Ahmed Rosario without a position. And the sensible thing is, okay, well, they've got so many guys who will end up playing into competitions in the infield. You know, you're talking about second base in the future there after Cesar Hernandez. Well, you've got Tyler Freeman and Owen Miller and Gabriel Arias. At third base, you still have Jose Ramirez. And then you have Nolan Jones and maybe Gabriel Arias, and maybe Owen Miller. And, um, so... It's like, well, this guy probably isn't going to be a long-term infielder for this team. Um, And he can still play shortstop if Jimenez falters. If he struggles in April and May and he's not hitting, then sure, if you really need to, you can send him down and Rosario can play short for a few weeks. And I would anticipate we'll probably see maybe against some tough lefties, Rosario play shortstop with Jimenez sitting down, at least initially. But But really, center field is the only spot that sort of makes sense. But you you have to understand that this is – you can't just trot him out there every day. I mean, it's – yes, I know Jason Kipnis played the position. um, (laughs) But this is not – And made a diving catch in the playoffs, Zach. (laughs) But this is not that. I mean, this is going to take – he has not played the position. He's spent three innings of his career – Anywhere but shortstop. According and, and according to to Mandy Bell, it was a fly ball to right center field that just popped out of his glove, <laughs> like the little league. Like, oops, it just squirted out as he went to make the catch. To be honest, I'm not really that concerned about that because uh, as a shortstop, I assume he could probably catch pop ups. <laughs> That's not. The, I'm more concerned with can he accurately read fly balls you know can he get a good jump out there uh, can he make sure he hits the right cutoff man and knows all of the the responsibilities of a center fielder whether or not the ball popped out of his glove I mean he probably has a glove that he's barely used at all um, what was the kipness when he went out to center field did he take uh, Josh Tomlin's mitt that he used out in batting <laughs> practice I think was, I mean he's probably used a, a glove right now that he's not even that used to I, again I'm not, I'm not they would be concerned if it happened multiple times but to me, is it, it it's tracking balls and and also progressive field has one of those weird corners in left center field where if you don't read it correctly, it can bounce over your head, uh, go for triples and inside the parkers. So there's some some things that he would have to learn. But I come down to a thought that that I had in my head, which where I typically would have them um, between Rosario and Mercado. Those are two guys that you think you have to learn something about this year. But if I'm if I'm putting the, the two in front of you and saying who needs to get more at bats this year, who is it? And isn't it to me? Isn't it true that Rosario is on this team? He needs to be playing almost every single day because I need to know if this guy is part mm-hmm. of this core. And we we talked about some of the challenges of getting him in the lineup. But you got to find places for this guy to play because if he's not playing every day, to me, it's a waste. 
It's a waste because then he's also not building his trade value. And that needs to be an option on the table too. So I'm with you. I, I almost think it would be better to learn about Rosario before you learn about Mercado. But it's just the fact that he, like, he has no experience out there. I think Mercado's going to have a leash here where you know, you have time. <laughs> Once Ahmed Rosario learns how to play center field, then Mercado's days could be numbered if he's not producing. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how Zimmer fits into any of this. Because the other thing is, you know, w- until Rosario learns center field and he's comfortable out there, where does he play? Like you said, he could play against some tough lefties, start a shortstop, that's fine. But is he where else? You got a guy at third base who plays every day, you got a guy at second base who plays every day. I I'm stumped. Yeah. And here's another thing to consider too with with Zimmer. You know, we 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 talk about him like he was the same guy that came up at the age of uh, 25. Um extremely speedy, good in the the outfield, uh, can utilize that speed to be a, a threat on the bases. Well, he's 28 now, and speed doesn't improve as you get older, uh, contrary to popular belief. Even, even Billy Hamilton is slower now than he used to be. So we talk about Bradley Zimmer being this speedy guy that's still this 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 guy can go get him in center field. I don't know that. I, I really don't know. I mean, you get some, some readout in, in spring training. The Indians and all teams have some proprietary data on that, I'm sure. I, can I just assume that Zimmer is the same speedster he was? I mean, I can't imagine that he's now Roberto Perez, but maybe he has lost a half a step, and maybe he's not as valuable. Again, I would like to know that too, but I guess we can't know everything all at once. I'm really upset about that, though. Yeah, Terry Francona said Zimmer lost some weight over the offseason, which I mean, <laughs> I've seen that dude without a shirt on, and I don't know where you'd lose any weight Chiseled from. out of a mountain. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so maybe he got faster that way. <laughs> Where he would have to like get shorter to lose weight. <laughs> maybe he got a haircut. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the point is there. We just—it's been so long since we've seen that guy. I don't even know what he is. I—I I, I don't. I assume the swing is still a continuous work in progress. But the things that made him really special was he was really fast and good defensively. You hope that that's still the case at the age of 28, but. Things start to decline by the time you hit 27, 28 as far as speed goes. So yeah, I don't know. I think the big point here is they have options. I know this lineup is going to be the opposite of sexy, especially in the early going. Well, unless Zimmer's in it, apparently. <laughs> but you can, you know, if, if Jake Bowers and Bobby Bradley both fall flat, you could always move Naylor to first and try Nolan Jones or Daniel Johnson in right field. So, like, there are plenty of options in the corners, there are plenty of options. On the infield, where you've got like Owen Miller, who's really turned some heads this spring, and you know Tyler Freeman probably isn't going to debut for a little while still, and Gabriel Arias is going to debut for a little while still. But those two guys, they're close, and so you like you have options, interesting, well-regarded play, young players for all these positions. But center field is kind of a black hole where it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know if Mercado's not that guy. Like it's not just. Return to your rookie form. It's like, can you be even maybe a little bit better than that? I, I don't. I don't even know. Who knows? Um, and Ahmed Rosario, like, it, it's it's not his fault if he can't just pick up center field and be a really reliable player out there. So like, if it's not any of these guys, and I don't know that we're gonna even learn enough for them to prove that it is. Uh, I, I, who is that answer? There isn't anyone at 
double A or triple A who's ready. I mean, George Valera, I don't know that he ends up in center field, uh, but he's a couple years away still too. Yeah. So. I mean, I would like to, I don't know, put a guy out there that's played some in the outfield. And I, th- I think is toolsy enough to maybe handle the position. Someone like Daniel Johnson, but they, yep. that's like a complete foreign idea. It's like they never thought of even putting Daniel Johnson out there. I don't know why they have shied away from that. Now I get it. You've got, Zimmer, you have Mercado, you have Rosario, so... Ben Gamble. You have Ben Gamble. You have all these guys you need to get reps in center field, but I know Gamble can stand out in center field and play a passable center if you need him to. I mean, they started Luplo out there for a few games a couple years ago, so... Why can't Johnson go stand in center field? If I would be looking for some way to get his bat in the lineup against righties. It seems like a good thing to try to do but they are so adverse to doing that I, I don't know why I have no idea yeah I'm preaching to the choir truly stumped speaking of which I'm going to try to stump you no chance we will see because it is the return of the random Indian of the day where do we want to lead off here just imagine it like in the future we'll call it the random hazard of the day that sounds cool. But they never were a hazard until next year. So we can't go back into the past. It'll be a random former Cleveland baseball player, professional, who was once paid. This gentleman debuted in 2001 mm-hmm. between the Diamondbacks and Devil Rays at the time. He then didn't appear in a major league game until 2003 when he was with Tampa and Cleveland. He then went on to pitch... For one more year, only four appearances, though, with Texas. So, only appeared in three major league seasons. Mike Koplov? No. Across those three seasons, he started 25 games, made 38 appearances, worked 144 innings, and put up an ERA of, you can read about it in Revelation, because it's 6-6-6. He was a lefty, pitched out of the bullpen for the Indians. Made five appearances, logged a total of eight innings for the Indians in 2003. Do you, do you realize how ridiculous this is? Yes, of course. Hey, remember that lefty who <laughs> pitched in five games for the Indians 18 years ago? And carried an ERA almost to seven? You don't remember that guy? Well, he's 42 now. At the time, he was 25. So maybe he thought still had some ways to uh, grow into a major league career. Put up a FIP of 228 in those five appearances, an ERA of 675. But those eight innings weren't memorable enough for you? <sighs> no. So a this, lefty? So this guy was drafted in the first round by the Diamondbacks with a 30th pick. He was once in a trade between the Diamondbacks and the Devil Rays for Mike DeFelice and former Cleveland Indian Albi Lopez. Oh, wow. And he was selected by the Indians off waivers from the Rays and then left as a free agent. So that's how he came to be part Mike of... Mike Bolsinger? Is that a human? <laughs> Sounds familiar, maybe. But no, this is not this this, this guy. Uh, his middle name is Raymond, but <laughs> you don't love him. Oh, man. Um, I, I'm never going to get this. No, you are not. Let's see if we can find any other fun facts about this man. So most of his outings were starts, but with Cleveland, it was just out of the uh, bullpen. Bull, out of, yeah, out of the bullpen. Again, 25 career starts in three across three major league seasons, 38 total. 
Tampa and Arizona. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm never going to get this. <laughs> Where is he from? He is from Long Beach, California. Okay, that narrows it down. Yes, it absolutely does. Just trying to see if this guy had a Wikipedia. The most new, notable thing is... Ooh, I did find something notable. I don't know if you remember this or not. Uh, this man was shot three times in the arm and chest in a taxi in South Carolina in June 2002. That's why he missed the entire 2002 season. I did not know that. He ended up making the opening day roster in 2003, but uh, again, was put on waivers and the Indians picked him up. So that's that doesn't really it's uh, a heck of a story. If you were around, I sure, I'm sure you would have written about it. I don't know, but I'm uh, more curious now. <laughs> I give up. Uh, of course. And the answer is Nick Beerbrot. Ah, uh, yeah. Why was he shot? What happened? I don't, I'm trying to find a story. Uh, so this comes from... Oh, that's gone now. He got shot in the arm? Tampa Bay Times does not archive their stories. So sorry, Mark Topkin. Can't give you some love. But yeah, according to Wikipedia, shot three ar- three times in the arm and chest in a taxi. So when the Indians signed him, they were just looking for a shot in the arm for the bullpen? Oh my gosh. Too soon. I have nowhere to go after that. <laughs> I see here. You see, you left this out. This would have given it away. In 2007, he played for the Brother Elephants of the Chinese Professional Baseball League. Still haven't recovered. Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, Spotify. Anything else? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have a story coming out this week. I should probably cross my fingers or knock on some wood when I say this week because um, it's been delayed a couple times. But a really fun project I've worked on for the last – since October, I think. Um, it won't interest everybody, but some may find it interesting just to – if you like memorabilia, if you like history, if you like – mysteries um and cleveland indians baseball i think it's will appeal to you according to the police report beer brought was in a taxi at the drive-thru of a fast food restaurant shortly after 3 a.m friday morning when he was shot by a man on a bicycle according to a witness there was a verbal exchange two shots were fired and the man rode off no arrests were made as of the writing of this in the herald tribune nothing good ever happens after 2 a.m What a story that is. Comeback story indeed. We'll be back at some point, I think, unless someone hears the end of this. We're out of here. Good, everybody. We'll see you.